All praise is due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on the last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The art of living refers to the art of living a life pleasing to God. Living a life pleasing to God. How do we achieve that? That is what I hope to share with you this morning. From a secular perspective, living a good life is living a stress-free life. Living a good life is living a life free from stress. That is the ideal. It's assumed that if one lives a life free from stress, you will live a happy life. So it's really a concept of what constitutes the ideal life, a happy life, an enjoyable life, etc. As it is perceived in general, it is one free from stress. Stress which leads to depression, Depression which leads to sadness or is a part of sadness, unhappiness, an unpleasant life. So the goal is a stress-free life. Is this possible? It sounds nice, and books have been written on it, people have spoken on it, motivational speakers will assure you, you do these things, you will have a stress-free life. All these promises are out there. So people flock to the motivational speakers and listen attentively to all of their advice and everything, how to have a stress-free life. But Allah said, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدٍ I have created humankind in struggle. Their life will be a life of struggle. Kebed. We struggle from the time we get into this world. Even getting into this world, we're struggling. The birth, the birthing process. Is that without stress? <laughs> of course not. Coming into this life, we're struggling. From the time we get into this life, we're cut off from the umbilical cord and you know, uh, getting milk and uh, the baby's crying all the time. Babies are crying all the time. You know, you, have you ever heard of a baby that came in and was just... No, they do have some stories, right? They do have some stories, you know, 
about uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani that he was born in Ramadan and after his birth which took place in the morning hours of Ramadan he didn't drink milk until Maghrib that first month of his life he would only drink milk from his mother's breast after sunset forget it okay that's a fairy tale in order to elevate Sheikh Abdul Qadir Al-Jilani and justify calling on him in times of need these stories were made up so people would be convinced that he is special he's not like other people yeah yeah don't call on you know the local Sheikh, but no, Sheikh Abdul Qadir, that's a whole nother story. You're dealing with a whole nother realm. So, that and anything else like it, know that it is nonsense. It didn't happen for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he was the messenger of Allah. Believe it's not going to happen for any other human being. So life is by its very nature stressful. So from the time we come into this world as children crying for milk starting to crawl starting to walk falling down getting back up again follow your life cycle was there a time which was stress free we haven't lived it no one lives it. Even Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was faced with stress at different times in his life. So this ideal of the stress-free life is fake. It's unachievable. No matter what the motivational speakers tell you, it cannot be achieved. So as Muslims, we have to look at life from the perspective of Islam, which has clarified for us and which agrees with what we all experience, a life of ups and downs. That's it. Life will have its ups and its downs. Allah has promised us that when it's down, it will not always remain down. With every difficulty, when we're down, we're beaten up, struggling, Yusra is coming. So that is the reality of life that we need to look at. If we are going to live a life pleasing to Allah, pleasing to God, pleasing to ourselves. Because if it's pleasing to God, it will be pleasing to ourselves. If we have done what is pleasing to God properly, sincerely, then it will be pleasing to us. But it doesn't mean 
there is no stress. It doesn't mean that. So, understanding that in order for us to live a life pleasing to God, pleasing to ourselves, a good life, we have to live it within the context of the ups and the downs. Then, what is required of us? Somehow, in the times when things are good, that's the up times, we have to do the right thing. And when things are down, inevitably, they will come down, we also have to do the right thing. Because the ideal, what are we striving for? We're striving for Stephen Covey's win-win. Right? That's the ideal. Now, if we are able to catch that win-win principle, then that's the ideal. That takes into account the ups and the downs. So if we can do the right thing in the time when we're up, do the right thing in the time when we're down, we have found and we have struck the right balance. That is, that is the best that we can achieve. That is the win-win situation. That inshallah will give us a life pleasing to Allah and a life which will be pleasing to ourselves. A life pleasing to ourselves is a life in general which will be a happy life. But it doesn't mean we will be happy all the time. We will still be sad sometimes. We will be happy sometimes. But overall, it is a life that we are comfortable with. We feel good. That's what is the goal that we should have in terms of the art of living as a Muslim. The key to that life is very simple. We know Allah has prescribed for us through His Messenger the five pillars of Islam, the six pillars of Iman. These were to put us in the right frame of mind, right frame of spirit, the right psychological frame, physical frame in all aspects, put us in the right frame with regards to living that godly life. And the essence, when we look at all of the pillars of Islam and Iman, the essence of what is there is what? The core, the salah, the fasting, the hajj, the zakah, tawheed, pillars of Iman, etc. What is the essence of what is going on here? What is it that we are being asked to do? We are asked to remember Allah. Dhikrullah. Remember Allah. Allah talks about the salah, for example, He says, Aqimus salah li dhikri. Establish the prayer for my remembrance. Establish the prayer for my remembrance. In order to remember me. That is the essential principle behind prayer. Remembrance of God. And remember, those people who tell you, I don't need to pray anymore. 
my name is Pierre so-and-so, Sheikh Fulani. You all need to pray, but I don't need to pray anymore. Because the essence of prayer is remembrance of Allah. Same thing I just said. He says the same thing. He goes on to explain, if a doctor takes a stethoscope and puts it on your chest where your heart is, he will hear budum, budum, budum. But if he puts it on my chest, he will hear lakbar, lakbar, lakbar. The very beat of my heart is remembrance of Allah. So no need to pray anymore. He's a liar. Prophet Muhammad ﷺ prayed right up until his last moment. He's not better than Muhammad ﷺ. Not better. The prophets of Allah. The righteous. Early generation. Khulafa Rashidun. Everybody prayed. And you're going to come along and say, I don't need to pray? This is misguidance. Delusion. And of course, people who don't understand the deen, they easily get tricked by such tales, such stories, such lies. We're talking about the remembrance of Allah in the sense of being conscious of Allah. This salah, the salah I just mentioned, five times a day. Allah says there, establish the prayer. Aqim salah establish the prayer for my remembrance. He didn't say, pray for my remembrance. He said, establish the prayer. Meaning that we pray on time. Five times a day. Organizing our day around the remembrance of Allah. What is the purpose of that? The purpose is to help us achieve that win-win situation. Because if we're not conscious of Allah, then when we're up, we forget Him. And we just enjoy life. We're happy. When we're down, we also forget Him. And we wallow in our stress and our sadness and our losses and etc. We just wallow in it. We can't get out of it. And more people die from the effects of stress in the form of depression etc. Than die from all of the other illnesses. Cancer which is the big thing up there. People talk about cancer. But more people die from these effects, these which are psychological effects, than actually die from the physical illnesses. Depression is the biggest killer out there. So, that remembrance which Allah wanted to establish in our lives, and the fasting Reinforce when Allah said, "Kutiba alaykum al-siyamu kama kutiba ala ladina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. Fasting was prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you in order that you would be conscious of Allah. La'allakum tattaqoon. Taqwa is consciousness of Allah. Because that consciousness of Allah is what helps us to handle stress and handle success. Ultimately, that is the means that we seek and we need to achieve that win-win situation. And I'm just stressing because sometimes... 
we lose sight of the realities of salah. That some people think it's okay to pray on occasion. So we have amongst us Friday Muslims. We have Ramadan Muslims. We have the Eid Muslims. Those who pray occasionally, once a day, twice. Others who pray all five prayers before going to bed at night. We have all kinds out there. Know that that is not the salah which is acceptable to Allah. That is what I call precautionary prayers. Precautionary prayers of those who are not sure about Allah. They are not convinced 100% there is Allah. They think there might be. Not sure. So better we have something in case there is Allah. So on the day of judgment, we have to stand before we can say, ah, well, I did do a few prayers here. I did do some fasting over here. I did do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. and so That's precautionary. Just in case. The just in case Muslim is not a true Muslim. They may have the name. They may dress like a Muslim. Live culturally like a Muslim. But this is not truly Islam. Now, we praise Stephen Covey in his seven habits. He came up with this win-win. And the win-win is really a wonderful formula. It really is a wonderful formula. And if we can live a win-win life, Truly, that would be a successful life. But guess what? 1,400 years ago, the Prophet ﷺ told us that the true believer lives a win-win life. He didn't call it win-win. But... When he said, Ajaban li amril mu'min. The fear of the believer is amazing. It is simply amazing. Inna amrahu kullahu khair. All of his affair or her affair is good. That's amazing. وَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ and this is only for the true believer. It's only in the case of the true believer. So for the true believer, his or her affair, all of it, is good. It's win-win. That is the ideal. Win-win. And he went on to explain, how does the win-win work? How? He said, إِذَا أَصَابَهُ ضَرَّا Sorry, إِذَا أَصَابَهُ سَرَّا شَكَرْ وَكَانَ خَيْرٌ If good comes to him, he is thankful or she is thankful to Allah, and it is good for them. That's winning when we're up. Then he went on to say, وَإِذَا أَصَابَتْهُ ضَرَّا And if evil strikes him, صَبَرْ وَكَانَ خَيْرًا He or she is patient, and it is good for them. He repeated it again. The affair of the believer is simply amazing. All of his or her affair is good.
And that is only in the case of the true believer. So there is the formula. Very simple. If we are to live godly lives, lives which are pleasing to God, pleasing to ourselves, lives in which we feel complete, that we are living an ideal, a good life, we have achieved the win-win principle, the formula is there. The ups and the downs. Good times and the bad times. How do we handle it? In the good times, we are thankful. We have remembered Allah. We remember where the good came from. And this is actually the most difficult. Because remembering Allah when we are in bad times, everybody does that. Is that special for the the moment? Everybody does it. Even the person who says, I don't believe in God. When he or she finds himself or herself in a situation where there is no way out, it's all over. The earthquake came. You're on the 30th story of the building. The building is crumbling under your feet. You know this is it. There's no way you're getting out of this. What does that person do? Does he say, Ah, my tough luck. What else to do? My bad luck. Because that has become his God, right? Good luck and bad luck. No! He won't say that. He or she will raise their hands and scream even louder than the believers, Oh God, oh God, oh God! They will be calling out. They can't help it. There's nothing else left. So, in times of difficulty, remembering God is much easier than in times of good. Because in times of good, it is easy to forget God. You have succeeded. You won the lottery. You And that's haram, lottery, okay? Whatever, you know, people who get what they have striven for and they're so happy, at that time they don't stop and say, okay, thank you Allah. No, they're just, ah, I did it, we did it, we have done it. You know, they're ecstatic. And they forget God. Easy. That's why the Prophet ﷺ had said that the poor will enter paradise 500 years before the rich. The rich are the ones who got it. They had it. Why 500 years ahead? Because they forget God. Much more difficult for them to remember God and to do what's required of them. Much more difficult. And it doesn't mean that Islam preaches poverty, that we should be poor. It doesn't. But know the responsibility which is on those who succeed. As Allah said, لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ If you are grateful, I will increase whatever you are grateful for. What is it that made you grateful? You showed that gratitude. Allah promises to increase it. وَلَإِن كَفَرْتُمْ إِنَّ عَذَابِي لَشَدِيدٌ But if you have denied, you have disbelieved in the blessing which I have given you, because that's what it is. Whatever was good which came to us is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we deny that it is from Allah, by forgetting Allah, then know 
my punishment will be severe. My punishment will be severe. So, we can see here that the focus for us to achieve that godly life, that good life, not a stress-free life, but a life in which we are able to handle the ups and the downs, that win-win life. It begins with gratitude. Gratitude. In the field of psychology, where they talked about, you know, the emotions and mindsets that are the most important characteristics that human beings should have to have a good and a complete life, they left out gratitude. It's not listed among them. In more recent times, 21st century, some psychologists started to address this. Gratitude and the impact of gratitude. And it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. Reality is that having gratitude in one's life is critical to finding that balance. That gratitude attitude is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put before us in the Fatiha. The first chapter of the Qur'an. The first word of that first chapter. Alhamdulillah. Know that Allah made Alhamd the first word for a reason. It is the most important concept that we need to achieve having gratitude to Allah. This we need to teach our children. Very important. Having that sense of gratitude is something, a primary principle that we need to teach our children. Because children who grow up without it, later on, can easily leave Islam. Physically, they may still be appearing to be Muslims and doing what the Muslims are doing, but internally, they can leave. Internally, there's a vacuum. They don't feel Islam. It's not there internally because of this missing factor. Gratitude to Allah. And this is especially important in families that are Islamically conscious for everybody, but in families that are Islamically conscious, have some consciousness, they're praying in the home. What happens when our children reach the age of two or three? When we stand up to pray, all of a sudden, our little daughter, our son, stands up beside us and does what we do. And of course, when we see them do that, we say, Subhanallah. We are so happy. It touches us. You know, it moves us. Here is our child praying. And of course, out of our happiness for their prayer, what do we do? We give them some sweets. We hug them. We smile, we kiss them. And the children learn. They learn that mom and dad, they get very happy when we do this. And they give us sweets and other good things. So they will do it more and more. 
The more you get up, the more they get up. The more you're happy, the more they become happy. You know, it's one feeding on the other. Till the point where you will have your family friends over, you're having a chat, whatever, social visit, and little Ahmed or little Fatima will stand up in front of everybody and start to pray. And of course, all of your friends, they say, Oh, look at that! MashaAllah! They're amazed. This is something so beautiful. Look at that little child. Not even an adult there. They're imitating. They're doing it right in front. Look at that. MashaAllah. So everybody's happy. They shower gifts and hugs and kisses. and Oh man. That little Ahmed, little Fatima there in Jannah. <laughs> really, really good times now. Right? So... They continue to do that. And they will grow up that way. Praying to please mom and dad. Until there comes a time when pleasing mom and dad is not that important anymore. So then, no need to pray. And they will start missing prayers. Maybe without mom and dad realizing it. Till they reach a point, they don't pray. Finish. End of story. We have to be careful of this. We have to be very careful of this. Yes, that little two-year-old or three-year-old may be difficult for you to explain to them being grateful to Allah. And how important it is. But as they get older, and you are explaining to them about Allah, Allah created the heavens, He created the earth, He created, you know, the stars, He created all these different things. Even Allah created the car, He created the ho- um, our home, He created us, He created... And as we are explaining this process of Allah creating everything, and giving it to us, then... It is natural that we should thank Him. Just as we teach them, when somebody gives you something, say, thank you. That's good manners. You know, as we teach good manners, we teach the children this sense of gratitude to Allah, because it is the foundation of faith. It is If you don't have it, you don't have faith. It's that important. So, it is important for us to raise that child with that consciousness of Allah, which is one, understanding that the relationship between us and Allah is one of gratitude. He has given His bounties, though we don't necessarily deserve it, we didn't earn it, etc. He gave it to us, we should be grateful to Him. If that understanding is developed, then we have the foundation of a godly life. A God-pleasing life. One in which we please God in what we do. One in which when the good comes, we will be thankful. We will not be so happy we forget Allah. We will remember Allah. We'll protect that. And as he said, if we remember him and thank him, then he will increase and we will see it in our lives. We will see it in our lives. And being thankful is not necessarily thankfulness just saying Alhamdulillah. You know, because It's easy for us to just say, Alhamdulillah. Everybody around us is saying, Alhamdulillah. Do we really mean Alhamdulillah? Or it's just now a reflex. So also, Alhamdulillah. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Did you do Alhamdulillah? Alhamdulillah becomes yes. A word to replace yes. As Muslims, we use Alhamdulillah 
it just means yes. It doesn't really mean Alhamdulillah. So even when after the Salah, the Prophet Sallallahu advised us to say Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, what do we do? Alhamdulillah becomes Hamla. Hamla. Not Alhamdulillah, but Hamla. Why? Because we want to finish it as quickly as possible. So we say, That's all we finished. In a split second, we have completed 33, 33, 34, or 33. Done. So it's a ritual. It's a ritual. It is not really glorifying Allah, being grateful to Allah, and recognizing His greatness. It's not that. So this is what has happened to us. We have lost track of Alhamdulillah. We have lost track of it. We are not really grateful to Allah. Part of that gratitude is sharing the good that we have with others. Charity. Gratitude should drive us to charity. There is a case in Malaysia, I just came from Malaysia, where a Muslim brother whose origin is from Yemen related incidents from his life. When he came with his parents from Yemen, his mother, some other relatives, He only brought with him, the only thing, possession he brought with him was a new pair of shoes. When they arrived in Malaysia, he went to the marketplace and sold the shoes to get some money. He sold the shoes for five ringgit. He bought something else and he sold it and became 10 ringgit. And then he came home to his mother and he told her, look mom, we got 10 ringgits. Now 10 ringgits doesn't mean very much, but back then it was big money. 10 ringgits. In that brief exchange, Allah blessed him, you know, as a businessman as young as he was, blessed him to be able to judge, get the right things, and earn a profit. Tripling, doubling, quadrupling his initial investment. So his mother told him, give five ringgits in charity. He said, yeah, yeah, okay, mom. Yeah, I, I want to give. I will give. But let me take this 10 back tomorrow and earn some more. And then, you know, when we have more, I'll give. Of course. He's young. The mom says, give five ringgits now. She insisted. He went, obeyed his mom. And he gave the five ringgits in sadaqah. That young man became the biggest trader, billionaire in rice in Malaysia. Subhanallah. Giving that charity, sadaqah, this was the gratitude, showing gratitude. He did it. And Allah increased what he had.
And this can happen in any of our lives. This is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not an individual's motivational speech. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself said. And the other side of the coin, because we said life has its ups and its downs. The goal of a stress-free life, which motivational speakers call people to, time and time again, and people flock to their lectures, how to achieve a stress-free life, is a lie. We cannot achieve a stress-free life. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself told us, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدٍ I have created humankind in struggle. Striving, struggling, difficulty, overcoming that difficulty. But he did promise us, إِنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَى that with every difficulty will come ease. How many times did we fall down before we finally learned to walk on two feet? Did anybody escape that? Do you know anybody who went from crawling straight to standing up and walking? No. We all went through that struggle. This is the nature of our lives. So, recognizing the ups and the downs, we said, being able to handle the ups and handle the downs, this is the win-win situation that we're seeking. We just talked about the ups. The other side of the coin, the downtime. The Prophet ﷺ described the true believer as having an amazing life. Because for the true believer who has put his trust or her trust in Allah, when the good times came to them, they were thankful to Allah. And as such, Allah gave them greater good. And the Prophet ﷺ went on to say, but when bad times came, or when bad times come, be patient. They're patient. The true believers, because of their trust in Allah, their belief in Allah, the qadr, the good of it and the evil of it, they accept it. They know it's from Allah. That even the evil of the qadr, appears evil to us, but it may be good. So, when bad times come, they are patient, sabr, and it's good for them. So that is the way to deal with the bad times. Patient, be patient. How can you be patient? If you are thankful in the good times, being patient in the bad times is easier. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier. Because you can remember all those good times you were thankful for, blessing from Allah. So when you have the difficult time, you don't just focus on the difficult time, you think back of the good times, okay, I need to be patient with this. Allah has promised me in the Ma'al Usri Yusra that with these bad times, good times will come. I may not be able to see it. It may appear to be so bad, so devastating, but He has promised. And Allah's promise is true.
So we are patient. For some people, Allah created them with a patient nature. I know the Prophet said, whoever Allah has given patience, He has given them khairun kathira. A great good. But there are few. The vast majority of us are impatient. وَكَانَ الْإِنسَانُ عَجُولًا Human beings are impatient. In general, that's the general situation. We're impatient. So it's something we have to struggle with. If we are to achieve that balanced life, the win-win situation, we have to be patient. Now one would say, okay, say we're not born with patience. How do we achieve it? How do we get it? What is the way? The Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever pretends to be patient, Allah will give them patience. Who pretends to be patient, meaning externally they show the actions, the expressions, the words that indicate that they are patient. But internally, they are not. Because that's their reality. Their reality is that they're not. They want this thing, but they've held themselves back. And externally, people say, oh, that's a patient person. MashaAllah, you're patient with it. Internally, they are ready to explode. But externally, they have this facade of patience. That eventually, if you keep doing it, time and time and time again, eventually it will become a reality. That is the solution which the Prophet ﷺ gave. And it is basically for all of the various higher characteristics that we may strive for, that if we pretend to do them, eventually they will become a habit. Because how do we develop habits? We repeatedly do something until it becomes a habit, becomes now part of us. So it's following that principle. The habit forming principle. Positive habit forming principles. That was the advice of the Prophet ﷺ 1400 years ago. So, anger, we all know. Anger management, big issues now. People specialize in teaching anger management. Companies will invite in specialists to advise their employees how to manage anger. In the past, they used to say, if you have something you're angry about, let it out. Don't keep it inside yourself. Because it will damage you psychologically. Let it out. Just express it. Shout, scream, break something, throw something, whatever. Just let it out. And then you can, you feel so much better afterwards. Later on, neurologists said, uh, actually, letting it out isn't good. Because when you scream, that angry person will scream until you can see the veins in their neck, blood vessels, capillaries are bursting in their brain. So it's actually not good for you at all. Better you don't let it out. That's what the Prophet told us. If you're angry, sit down. Not jump up and down and scream and <laughs> sit down. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting, lie down. Shift your position. 
Maybe later on we'll find some scientific discoveries about shifting your position. But we don't need to wait until we find them. We know that the advice of the Prophet ﷺ was good advice. Control it. Suppress it. And if you develop the habit of suppressing your anger, eventually you will get over it. You'll be able to overcome. This is the, the way. So, the formula which Prophet Muhammad gave us is clear. To achieve that ideal life, living a Muslim life, a true Muslim life, it requires both of these principles. To handle the ups and the downs of life. Gratitude and patience. Patience and gratitude. These are the two most key principles that we need. Now, to understand the various ways of being grateful... The various ways of being patient. We need to know the advice of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We need to know the Quran. The Quran gives us many guidelines for gratitude and patience, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam lived them demonstrated them in his life. So it is important for us in order to strengthen our understanding to be able to handle these situations to learn from the Quran and the Sunnah as the Prophet ﷺ had promised us that he left behind two things if we hold on firmly to them we will not never go astray. We will remain on the straight path. Holding on firmly to the Quran and the Sunnah. So, this is our resource bank. From which we take guidance in order to achieve this balance. And that resource bank will only benefit us if we seek that knowledge genuinely, we seek the knowledge of Islam, the Quran, the Sunnah, genuinely, we are able through seeking it genuinely to distinguish between cultural Islam and authentic Islam. Because cultural Islam offers solutions. But many of the solutions are not the correct solutions. They become standards of cultural behavior in certain parts of the world. But in others, they are not applied, they have no relevance. And Oftentimes, they become a repository of malpractices which end up becoming attributed to Islam by those who are ignorant. Our Islam is practiced this way in our country, which may involve many practices which go against the teachings of Islam, but that's how we practice Islam. We need to get away from that type of understanding and get back to the understanding that was taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Because that is the correct understanding which will make a difference in our personal lives, our community lives, our national lives, our global lives. That correct understanding which is based on 
the Quranic verse, Al-Yawma Akmaltu Lakum Deenakum. Today, I have completed for you, your religion. So, as Imam Malik had said, whatever was not a part of the religion when that verse was revealed, can never be a part of the religion. Can never be. We have to understand that. It can never be. Why? Because if we say that this is now a part of the religion, when Allah already said that He completed the religion 1,400 years ago, then you're saying that Allah did not tell us the truth. A'udhu Billah. Allah was wrong. That verse of the Quran is misguidance. The, the Islam is not complete. We need to do this today. We need to do that today. We need to add this. We need to take away that and create our own Islam. Liberal Islam. You know, we have a liberal Islam. That's misguidance. True guidance is following the Quran and the Sunnah. As it was revealed. Not as we feel. Where we pick and choose from Islam what pleases us and leave what doesn't please us. That's not Islam anymore. That's our lamb. Islam is what Allah revealed. Each and every one of us, we have a her lamb and a his lamb. You know, we have all kinds of lambs out there. But the real true Islam is the one which was revealed to Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, which he practiced and which his followers, that first generation of Sahaba practiced. And because of that, he described them as being the best of generations. Khairun Nasi Qarni. The best of generations is my generation. So, in summing up, our topic, which is the art of living, and we said that meant the art of living a true Muslim life, or the art of living a life which is pleasing to God. However we interpret it, that life, which should be the ideal life that we have set for ourselves, to do that, it involves finding the balance in our lives. The balance between the ups and the downs. The balance between the deen and the dunya. The balance between success and failure. The balance between a good family and a bad family. Handling the problems that exist. In such a way that regardless of what circumstance we find ourselves in, it becomes a win-win circumstance for us. That is what we are striving for. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ said for the ideal believer, the ideal Muslim, is the one who has found that balance. Good times and the bad times. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that understanding. Help us to achieve those goals. Forgive us for our failures of the past and the present and give us success to die believers and earn through the mercy of Allah the paradise for which we were created. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.